This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22, and you, my co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, and he's back in his co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. AJ, welcome back to the show. We're headed into our bread and butter um, but before I get into that, I want to ask you, what do you and the Rotowire NHL team cover in the past week, and what is it the focus for the next group of articles? Yeah, so just uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, I did a uh, um, kind of betting preview article uh, that you uh, took some umbrage with, Paul. But uh, <laughs> you know, a couple couple bets that I like, couple that I didn't, and then you know, a few long shots that uh, you know, if you've got a dollar sitting around. And 10 bucks, something like that might be worth a return on investment. So definitely would encourage our listeners to go check that out. We're going to try, um, don't know for certain what it's going to look like, but we're going to try and have some more betting related content on the site uh, during the, the, the postseason here. So um, keep an eye out for that. We also yesterday released the first of our eight preview articles that we're going to do. There's going to be one a day um, from me and a couple other of the guys at, at HQ there kind of taking the lead. Um, and then we'll have a couple expert opinions on, on what that might look like in, in terms of the final uh, outcome there. So I took a crack at the Penguins Habs. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I felt like I gave it a, a pretty uh, fair shake in terms of what that might look like. Um, you know, but ultimately, you know, we'll, we'll get into that more next week when we talk Eastern conference on the show. But, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I can tip my hat here. Nobody will be surprised. I'm predicting the pens in three for that one. So, um, check that out. Look for all the others coming out. Like I said, betting content, we do also have a, a postseason cheat sheet. I know it's kind of hard to find that this time of year when, you know, especially, uh, when you've got teams out of the tournament, more teams in the tournament than than usual. So we have a, a cheat sheet that uh, Kyle Riley, our, our NHL managing editor, put together as well. So ton of great tools on the site to use uh, for you know postseason pools, 
sports betting. Uh, DFS is right around the corner as well. We will have DFS content on the site. I saw you know, our friends at FanDuel already have the contests up. There's a free one uh, available. So if you haven't tried Daily Fantasy Hockey, there is a free one set for August 1st for those games. So definitely get on there and check those out. Well, I, I'm surprised. I, for one, I'm surprised, AJ, that you didn't just say that Montreal should write a letter to the league saying, uh, you know what, we really don't think we have a chance against Pittsburgh, so we're not even going to bother to show up. So <laughs> I thought you might offer that as well. I mean, that's kind of what Carey Price said yesterday. He, uh, <laughs> you know, he said he couldn't do it alone. He was asked how they would stymie the uh, the Penguins power play, and he basically said they could nicely ask Crosby and Malkin to stay at the team hotel during games. So, um, you know, certainly, you know, Carey Price is the ultimate competitor, um, and I think that's the the biggest debate is uh, looking at that series. Hopefully, fingers crossed for me, that's the biggest debate is can Carey Price steal a game? Maybe two, but I just doubt he's able to steal a full three games there. But again, we'll talk all of that next week on our, our Eastern Conference look. But before we kick off this week's Western Conference dive, just remind our listeners throughout the week, if you have questions about DFS lineups, playoff pools, uh, fantasy hockey, sports hockey betting, if you're, if you're a sports better, any of these questions, we are happy to help you with those uh, quandaries that you might have. As Paul said, you can follow me at AJSholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. Well, AJ, you know what? I'm downright giddy over the prospect of going through the the playoff matchups because this is our bread and butter. This is what we talk about during the normal course of activity on the podcast. So can't wait to dive into the Western Conference with you this week. So why don't we begin with uh, our look at the Western Conference and a look at the top four teams in the loop as they get ready for their round-robin set. We're talking, of course, about the fact that three teams qualified from the Central Division for this grouping, St. Louis, Colorado, and Dallas, joined by the Pacific-leading West uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Now, off the top, AJ, I was kind of surprised that uh, Saint, uh, that the second-place team in, in the Pacific Division wasn't awarded a spot. That would have been the Edmonton Oilers, of course, and... Uh, so uh, uh, they didn't get a spot in the top four because it strictly went by point percentage, and that's why you see three teams from the Central Division qualifying there in case anybody was wondering about all that. But uh, I'm not reading a lot of emphasis on the importance of this round-robin section of the tournament, but I do think it's important to remind our listeners that this is key for seeding in terms of the next round. So for anybody that thinks that, that uh, teams are going to take, take uh, some of their best players and sit them or maybe not play the, the heck out of them in this first round, I wonder that I think that, that they need to really do as well as they can to set up the better matchups in subsequent rounds. I don't know where you stand on that, but that's my opinion. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think the one caveat to that that I think we're going to see, um, especially with a, a couple of these teams, is that I think we're going to see the backup get one of the three kind of round robin games just as like a tune up. And that's a benefit for them that they get, you know, um, if they do have injuries, they don't have to rush guys back into the lineup for these round robin games. But to your point, the last thing I would want is to go into these round robin games, uh, you know, kind of phone it in, end up fourth and then potentially get the Edmonton Oilers right away. Uh, that's certainly not a team I would want to face right off the hop. Uh, in the postseason here. So uh, there is definitely a benefit to getting above 
you know, above that four seed and, and, you know, going from there. So it'll be interesting to watch, but I do think an important factor for playoff pool uh, and, you know, uh, guys is to consider the fact that I don't know that all of the starters are necessarily going to get all three of these round robin games. Yeah, that's going to be curious to to watch. But uh, AJ, I thought we'd go back to our roots and and profile these teams by position, and we'll alternate roles here as we go through it. So I'll begin by taking a look at the St. Louis tandem of Binnington and Allen. Now, uh, Binnington for the second year in a row got the lion's share of the workload in the Nets, but this this year the difference was that Jake Allen really performed very well in in the backup role and actually his numbers were better than Binnington's in a smaller sample. And there's no question that Binnington will be the starter going into the playoffs, but look at the numbers these guys posted. You got Binnington with a 256 goals against average and 912 save percentage in 50 appearances, cracked a 30 win barrier again uh, or for the first time and then Jake Allen, 21 uh, decision, uh, game starts, 12-6-3, the record there, with a 2-15, that's 2-1-5 uh, goals against it, a 9-27 save percentage. That's what I mean about better numbers than the starting goalie. So the goalkeeping is in excellent shape here in St. Louis, and uh, Bennington will be the, the workhorse heading into the opening round. There's no question. Yeah, and I think this might be the one exception to what I just said. Um, you know, Bennington's young enough. He seems to thrive on playing a lot of games. So I really think there's a a strong possibility here that Bennington does take all three of those contests. But, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, maybe he takes the first two. And if that puts them in a position to already get the two and three, you know, one, two or three kind of coming out of this, um, if they're in a good spot, maybe at that point they decide um, to have Allen take the last one and, and give Bennington a, a night off. For um, for Colorado, I think things aren't quite as clear here. You've got, you know, Philip Grubauer uh, and Pavel Francouz. I, I, I think uh, Grubauer is probably going to be the guy that gets the start just because uh, he is, you know, the, the number one, at least at the start of the season. But both guys played about an even number of games. Grubauer started 31 Frank Hughes started 30, uh, I'm sorry, Grubauer started 36, Frank uh, Francouz started 31, but Francouz has more wins with 21 wins, a higher save percentage at .923, um, so this is a group that this may be Colorado's opportunity to decide who the number one is going to be. You give Grubauer the first game, you give Francouz the second game, uh, and then whoever's playing better takes game three and leads them into the, the next round, so that's certainly a possibility in something again you're really going to want to monitor a site like rotowire where we're going to confirm those nhl starters for you so you know for your dfs contests or uh, if you set lineups in your playoff pool like we do for ours paul you're really going to want to know who's going to be between the pipes for colorado yeah and maybe the tiebreaker from from a distance i'm looking at this from like thirty thousand feet away uh is looking at the salary caps of these two guys francois just signed a, an extension for two years at two million per uh, Grubauer's on the books for 3.3 so the front office surely hopes that Grubauer lives up to the front billing and and takes that starting role and so I'd give him the inside edge uh, look at the numbers between them there's not much to choose from again both of them are in around the two and a half goals a game uh, level in, uh, in terms of goals against average and the save percentage Francouz is a little bit better than Grubauer so uh, if you look at the raw numbers Francouz did outperform him slightly in that way but I think 
like you, Grubauer has the inside edge uh, just based on the uh, number of games that he started over the regular season and the profile uh, that you can follow at uh, Cap Friendly, which outlines the salary caps of the different players. So that's the way I see it there. Uh, we go next to the Vegas Knights. They have, on, uh, in terms of name recognition, the top tandem in this group of four, but uh, might not be the best one. We'll get to that in a sec when we rank them. But, uh, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury, the signature piece here on this roster, and certainly put up another great season. But they acquired Robin Leonard as some goalie insurance. And talk about high-level goalie insurance. You, you're talking about a guy a couple of years ago who was among the league leaders in terms of, of some of the raw numbers that uh, goalies are measured by. So in terms of that data specifically... Flurry's numbers a little bit off as career best and career norms. 277 was the goals against average, 905 the save percentage. Leonard was a little bit better in terms of save percentage, but a little higher in terms of the goals against average. So uh, there's no question, uh, of course, Flurry is the de facto starter as this playoff starts. And uh, you might see a situation if Vegas, similar to what you pointed out with uh, St. Louis, if uh, Vegas does win their first two games, you might see Leonard play a, g- a game in that set. Uh, AJ, what are your thoughts on this tandem? I actually think we're going to see a little bit different, uh, you know, uh, utilization here. I think both guys will get one of the first two games, and and I don't think it's as shut and, and shut and uh, close here that that Flurry will be the starter for the first game. You know, Leonard. Doesn't have uh, a ton of experience with the team, but he did win all three of his appearances for the Golden Knights since since joining them. Um, and he was brought in to kind of push for Flurry to compete with him. And I don't think he's going to let it just be a walk in the park. Now, that being said, you don't keep your franchise netminder, the three-time Stanley Cup champion, on the bench uh, if if he's available and healthy and not playing poorly, but I think for these round robin games, I, it could be an open competition. I, I would not be shocked to see um, them go one, you know, first game flurry, second game Leonard, and and then go from there. Uh, so so we'll really have to to watch that one as well. Um, in Dallas, uh, again, you know, with this kind of format, I think we have a clear number one in Ben Bishop. You know, but Anton Kudoba's numbers. We're not drastically, uh, you know, that far off from Bishop this season. In fact, in terms of save percentage, Kudobins was higher at .93 compared to .92. His goals against average was lower, 2.22 compared to 2.5. But at the end of the day, you're talking about one guy, Bishop, who played 43 games, got 21 wins, and the other guy started uh, 26 games with 16 wins. So I think Bishop is your number one. Um, but again, I think they'll both see um, a, a game or a, here in this mix. I just don't see it being a situation where uh, one guy uh, takes all three games for, for this team either. Well, we've already had our first stunning revelation in this, this goalie section with AJ appara- <laughs> apparently losing his Marc-Andre Fleury pajamas and, and not worrying about him too much. But uh, I, think, I think you're not far off the mark there, AJ. And then in terms of rating the goalie duos here, I'd like you to let, share with our listeners how you rate the tandems uh, in the Nets. Yeah, I mean, for me, you, you do have to give a bit of an edge uh, to whoever's going to be your number one guy, right? And so for me, I think you have to go with Jordan Bennington and St. Louis as as the top tandem here to start. They have the guy that, of these these four teams, they have the guy that is 
firmly cemented as the number one option. And until he's not the Stanley Cup champion, uh, that is still his title to hold here. And so I go with him as the number one. I go Vegas as the number two. You mentioned two guys that both uh, they have two guys that both have been starters at, at points in their career and will push each other. Dallas rounds it out for me with Bishop and Kudobin. And then the uncertainty there uh, in Colorado makes them fourth for me in terms of the, the ranking here. Paul, what say you uh, uh, on these four teams? I agree with you with the St. Louis Blues, and it's largely because of Bennington and the cup ring that he's come off of. He didn't really slide in terms of performance on, in what would effectively be referred to as a sophomore season. And so I ranked St. Louis ahead the, ahead of the class. I flip-flopped Dallas and Vegas just because Dallas has a more solid defensive structure as a team. And that reflects in the numbers that, that uh, their tandem posted all season long. And it's a situation that they're going to rely on that defensive structure to push them as far as they can in these playoffs. The Knights, more of an offensive uh, juggernaut than a defensively uh, structured organization, and that reflects in the starting goals against average, starters' goals against average. I'm looking at uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's numbers. That's a reflection of that. Colorado, the most run-and-gun team in this loop, and it's no surprise that I rank them fourth just because they are relying on that high-octane offense to carry them as far as they can go, but they do have an effective tandem, and and, uh, as you say, there might be some doubt in terms of the split in games because the the starting, the two goalies uh, at the head of the class are not too dissimilar in terms of the the overall numbers and experience this past season, AJ. Let's flip our attention to the defense core, and why don't you lead us off in terms of what you see in the St. Louis Blues uh, blue line? Yeah, so obviously with the Blues, everything starts and stops with Alex Petrangelo um, and whoever they decide to pair up with him. Most recently at practice, it's been Carl Gunnarsson, um, but I think it could end up be Justin Falk. Part of that was that Vince Dunn was not at practice on Wednesday, and this highlights one of the biggest problems for fantasy players this time of year is that the league stance has been uh, just to reveal unfit to participate or unfit to practice, play, whatever the term is. So we don't know, did Vince Dunn get a maintenance day yesterday or did he tear his ACL the other day? We have no idea on what kind of scale um, you know, he may or may not um, be available. So that is obviously a concern and a difficulty. But again, uh, Petrangelo with Gunnarsson, I think Dunn probably slots in with Justin Falk. And then you're looking at kind of a rotating group, I think, between Marco Scandella, Colton Pareko, and Robert Bertuzzo rounding out the the rest of that group there. Um, in terms of the offense, like I said, Petrangelo, 16 goals, 36 assists. He will lead the way in scoring. Um, Pareko added 28 points this year as well, so he's certainly no slouch. Um, and I think the question mark, you know, if Dunn is not there, who quarterbacks that second power play unit? Because I would expect Dunn to maybe do it, but uh, maybe it ends up being Pareko. So a couple of things to watch. Justin Falk could get in with that second group as well if, if Dunn is out. So um, for me, uh, you know, if I'm looking at pools, looking at who to take, I think Petrangelo is really the only one that I would dive into. Um, maybe Vince Dunn if, if he's going to be healthy here. So, um, Paul, what's your take on this this Blues core? Well, you, you kind of gloss over Justin Falk, and based on this past season, I don't blame you. But this guy has... Uh 
made his career as a top-notch offensive defenseman and a power play quarterback in previous stops in the NHL. It just hasn't worked out for him in St. Louis, and I think they're a little bit down on him despite the fact that they committed long-term to this guy, and uh, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on him. As a, this, this may be a chance for him to uh, come off this break, uh, a four-month break in the schedule, and maybe to get his act together, and we might see a significant uptick from him, and he may be the one that grabs onto that role that uh, if Dunn is hurt or is out for a while, uh, Falk could uh, usurp him in terms of the power play role that that was ticketed for the youngster, and uh, it could be a real reprieve moment for, for Justin Falk here. Uh, in terms of the rest of the the depth, I, I really am a big fan of Colton Pareko, but he's in in tough here on the right side of this defense. When you consider Falk and Pietrangelo above him on the depth chart, hard for him to fight for, for special teams minutes when uh, most of it's committed to one of the three guys we already mentioned, but uh, it's a real luxury in St. Louis and one of the reasons why they're again a favorite for the Stanley Cup. When we look at the, the next team in this loop, we talk about the Colorado avalanche and that means that you got to look at their depth chart on the blue line and it too is dotted with guys that have some offensive upside and uh, it begins with a rookie though kale mccarr and he's got a day-to-day uh, note beside him in terms of his status so we hope that it's nothing serious for his sake but another youngster ryan graves figures to match up as his partner on the top pairing and then they have uh, the veteran eric johnson who i keep reminding people he was a top draft pick i think he was number one in his draft class aj as an off offensive defenseman but uh, he's kind of been relegated more to more of a secondary offensive role and maybe a the top shutdown pair along with Samuel Girard and then uh, it tails off a little bit to the third pairing uh, I know Ian Cole is a guy you know a lot about and Nikita Zadorov is a guy who's a very physical presence so not a lot of uh, offensive expected from those two guys but I mean if they're on the ice with with uh, with uh, Nate McKinnon I sure I'm sure a little dump pass to him or an outlet uh, could get them on the stat sheet real quick but uh, that's the way this this group shakes out and uh, Makar has had an outstanding rookie campaign so really shot himself to the top of the ladder in terms of defense that you should be considering uh, as draft potential in your various playoff pools. Yeah, Paul, to to follow up, yeah, Eric Johnson went first overall in 2006. uh, And really, you look at the D group uh, that year, uh, it's very clear why he went so early because there weren't a ton of other guys uh, to really consider. You've got Jeff Petrie and Andrew McDonald kind of rounding out that, that top group. So certainly makes sense why he went as early as he did and while at, to your point, he may not be the same, you know, offensive powerhouse, um, you know, that they were hoping or expecting with the first overall pick. He's still a very solid defender. And to your point, it, it does start and stop here again with Cal McCarr. I think Samuel Garrard offers a, a really good value uh, in in this group as well. Doesn't have quite as many goals as as McCarr, but. Um, certainly has racked up the assists as well in this group. So uh, for me, you know, the concerning part is, again, we don't know if it's maintenance day or not. So every day that ticks by without getting more information uh, makes it seem like it's going to be a longer and longer absence. And so McCarr uh, left Saturday's practice early. We're recording, obviously, early Tuesday morning. Um, so that's at least two days uh, without really uh, an update or a return to the ice for him. And so it, it is starting for me to get into that kind of worrisome area. And I think that gives even more value to a guy like Samuel Garrard to really, um, you know, potentially take uh, a bigger role if if McCarr does, in fact, miss 
any time. Now, again, they have the play, the round robin games to give them a little leeway. Um, so there, there is some, um, some flexibility there. Looking at, at the Golden Knights, this is the group that, you know, the last two teams we've talked about having a really big name guy. Petrangelo with St. Louis, McCarr with Colorado. Um, I don't see that as much with the Golden Knights. Now, I'm sure Daniel Negreanu will get on us as, as soon as he listens about me <laughs> not including Shea Theodore in, in that group. But um, and, and the points are certainly there for him. 13 goals, 33 assists. Um, you know, 16 of his 46 points came uh, with the man advantage. So he's certainly not a slouch by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think they lack, you know, kind of that one big name guy necessarily. But that's been what has been Vegas's thing the whole time. So it looks like we'll have Nate Schmidt paired up with Brandon McNabb. They do have Alec Martinez. Certainly don't want to forget him uh, after he came over at the deadline and is also a very capable uh, scorer for them or defenseman for them. He did get eight points in his 10 games with, with the Golden Knights, but his year before that with LA, he also had eight points in 41 games with the Kings. So um, a little bit of an uneven year for him. Uh, and then you've got uh, looks like potentially Zach Whitecloud here is going to get a look over Derek Anglin based on the line combinations, but it, it's hard to tell before, you know, right now, a lot of teams have been doing split practices. So we're trying to track that as best we can at Rotowire. Um, so it could be John Merrill and Derek Anglin rather than Nick Holvin and Zach Whitecloud. But I think there's going to be some competition for minutes there at the, at the bottom of this group. So, um, you know, other players to consider. Yes, Nate Schmidt also had 31 points this season, so certainly not bad numbers there either. Um, and, and like I said, it's going to depend on which Alec Martinez you get uh, from this compliment. Uh, Paul, uh, what do you think about his game at this point? Well, I, I tell you what, when he moved over to, to Vegas, he fit in very seamlessly. And I'll remind our listeners, he was a very key part of an L.A. Stanley Cup run. So they really added a key piece there, in my estimation. And I think that's the signature pairing if you're looking for offensive fireworks between him and Theodore, who is the best in class in the Vegas roster in terms of offensive upside. That's a pairing that I, I look to keep an eye on they might even be a pairing that appears intact on a on a power play for the knights there they've got a wealth of forwards of course they can plug in if they want to go four forwards and one defender but i could see them using this tandem and uh capitalizing on the fact that both of these guys have an offensive up to, upside to their game and martinez could be that sneaky good play that value play because as you uh, suggested his numbers over the regular season between the two teams were not uh, among the elite in the league, 16 points total in 51 games played. So an injury-marred season as well for him. Uh, and, and then uh, that takes us to the last team in the group that we're going to look at. And that's the Dallas Stars, AJ. And this is a team, of course, that has some name recognition among their top three guy, top two guys, certainly. Miro Heiskanen has come on the league, on the league is at 20 years of age. He's already compiled a 35-point season. And really, if you're going to rank this team in terms of top defensemen and offensive-wise anyway, I think he might have even passed John Klingberg, who ha took a major step back from uh, the level 
what, what we've seen him in the past. He dropped to only 32 points, but that's a pretty good uh, pair of offensive types uh, on the blue line. And uh, Essa Lindell, who is a compliment on the top pairing, is a guy that uh, is third in class with 23 points in the 69 games played here, AJ. When we look at this depth, of course, it falls off beyond that in terms of the uh, the offensive talent. But Jamie Alexiak is a guy who is fourth in class and rounds out the top two pairs and then from there it, it goes on to more defensive specialists like Andre Sequeira and Steve, Stephen Johns who's can come back from a tough injury season, uh, tough injury uh, campaign a year ago but this past season seemed to have rehabilitated himself and locked down that third pairing defense position. This is a group that also plays defensively sound as a very key aspect of the overall structure of this team, which I highlight off the top as uh, really the signature aspect of the, of the stars. Well, my one take on this is, is really to, to tell our listeners not to sleep on, on Steven Johnson. Look, I, I know he had, he missed an entire season uh, due to injury. He's only played 17 games since coming back, was a little bit in and out of the lineup because of that as they were easing him back. But five points in 17 games, had a brief two-game stint, uh, a rehab stint with in the AHL. He had four points during that. This is a guy that can be, I think, if fully healthy, is capable of being a 20 to 25-point producer for them. And so in a shortened turn, tournament format like this, I think he's got the, the potential to produce for this team. Now, am I taking him in my pools? Probably not. Maybe a late pick or something if, if you're in a draft uh, pools format. But maybe in a DFS contest, I, I sneak a player like him in uh, and, and try and really figure out, um, you know, how to fit him in there. So, uh, Paul, I'll let you lead the way this time in terms of ranking our, our decor here. Well, uh, I'm going to go with the Blues top to bottom. I think this is one of the best six packs in the entire NHL. Uh, got offense, got defense, got toughness. We saw it all on display in the playoffs and a key aspect in their playoff run. I think they're at the head of the class. I think then I look at the depth on the Vegas blue line. I like that trio that I highlighted, and I think I give them a slight edge over Colorado, who is, uh, for me, it revolves around McCarr, but beyond him, it falls off a little bit more drastically than uh, I'll say any of the clubs in this loop. And then Dallas, I think their structure is more concerned about the defensive side of the puck, although they have the two key offensive weapons that I highlighted as well. So it's St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, and Dallas for me. Yeah, I mean, that that certainly you make a good point, but I, I think Kale McCarr, assuming he's in the lineup, is just so good that I think for me he propels him to the top of this group. Uh, and and I love Sam Garage game. Eric Johnson and Ian Cole are phenomenal shutdown guys that can occasionally contribute. So for me, I love this Colorado group. I follow it up with St. Louis in large part because they have Petrangelo leading the way. Uh, and then I like Dallas again, you know, that that addition of Stefan Johns into that group. So for me, I put Vegas as as the fourth in this group. Now, I, that's not separating them a lot. Let's be very clear on that. Right. It, it's not a clear distinction, even in my opinion. If Makar is out, Colorado, I think, drops potentially to the last uh, in this group. So, But he's just been so good leading the way for them. We'll begin our look at the forward ranks with the St. Louis Blues, AJ. And uh, uh, coming off the cup win, you shouldn't be surprised that they have a six-pack among the top 
two forward lines that is dotted with guys who had really good postseasons last year and don't forget about the fact they get an infusion of a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko who maybe vaults to the head of the class in terms of the skill level uh, of the forwards on this on this group the first line lines up as follows with Jaden Schwartz on the left side Braden Shen at center and Tarasenko on the right wing the second line with Zach Sanford who a couple of years ago was noted more as a bottom six forward but has reinvented himself kind of like Tom Wilson did in in Washington AJ a a reference that you might cringe at but uh, I (laughs) I see it and then Ryan O'Reilly one of the most underrated two-way players in the league in fact nominated for nominated for one of the uh, as the top defensive forward in the league with the Selkie nomination recently and David Perron uh top-notch dynamic skater and scorer on the right side so they're right wing with Tarasenko and Perron two dynamic players there that really fuel this offense from there it drops off to serviceable veterans like Robert Thomas Tyler Bozak Alexander Steen and uh, Mackenzie McEachern Sammy Blay two youngsters who round out the top four lines in this unit a very deep and very talented uh, four four lines in my opinion on the St. Louis roster Absolutely agree. And I think the important thing, too, to look at is you've got three guys in this group that reached the 20 goal mark this season in in Perron, Shen, and Schwartz. Uh, And then, you know, if you take it uh, point by game, uh, points per game, their highest point producer this season was Tarasenko. He had 10 points in those 10 games. And so he is certainly going to produce for them and and do a lot of damage. So uh, this is a, a very strong group. Um, you know, as you said, it's it's it gets a little bit thinner from from uh, after the top two lines, but I think there's um, some very capable uh, scorers in in that that uh, that uh, bottom chunk as well. That that guys can contribute from from time to time, and there's a good combination. I like, you know, you've got youngsters like like Thomas and Blay, but then you also have some veterans like Steen and Bozak to kind of round out that that bottom six. So I, I really do like that group. Uh, in terms of Colorado here, um, right now, based on what we're seeing at, at early camp, it looks like they're going to break up uh, their their top group. So Andre Burakovsky is slated to take that left wing spot alongside Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. And then they're going to have Gabriel Landeskog on the second line with Nazem Kadri and Valeri Nanushkin. Uh, and then from there, you've got Nemesnikov with Comfer and Donskoy, and then Calvert with uh, Belmar and Nito. Uh, and I think Tyson Yost could be a factor in there as well. TJ Tynan potentially could get a look there. And this is a similar group where um, I think their top six uh, is a really strong group. Uh, I don't think they're quite as deep in the top six as, as St. Louis is, in my opinion. But they do have the the big name guys. You know, you you look at just straight point totals, you you're gonna see some discrepancies here. But that's because Landeskog and Rantanen both missed significant time this season, and without them, McKinnon uh, racked up 93 points on the year in just 69 games. And so I, I really think you're gonna see a solid top six. But that's not to you know slight a guy like Donskoy, who uh, I think can provide scoring from that third group. So uh, I think this will be a tough one to handle, Paul. Yeah, I do. I like the, the makeup of the wingers here on this roster. I think they're overvaluing Nichushkin, though, uh, in that second-line role. Donskoy was signed in the offseason and started off as the second-line right wing and, and had 
a decent year, but it was uh, 33 points, a little bit low, lower than expected, I'll say. And that's maybe what opened the door for Nachushkin to get a look. But I think when the serious shooting starts, I, I could expect to see Donskoy getting a few more minutes than, than uh, Nachushkin. But yeah, the, the Avalanche have to be thrilled that this, this is a guy who absolutely did nothing in his time in, in Dallas and almost played himself out of the league, but he kind of re- revived his, his uh, fortunes here in Colorado and uh, in a more dynamic offense, perhaps, that suited his skill set better. I just think that Donskoy is going to overtake him in this role. It's the third line center for position for me that's a bit of a weak spot, and you mentioned Tyson Jost as a guy that they're counting on to kind of grab that spot eventually, but uh, boy, I like the one-two with McKinnon and Kadri, and I hope for Nazem Kadri's sake that he's learned from a couple of playoff brain farts, I'll call them, in the last couple of seasons where he's played himself right out of the, the competition with a couple of suspensions. I think he's going to be uh, still a rugged rugged performer, but I think he's learned from those experiences. And uh, if this team is poised for a long playoff run, he's going to be a central figure in this process, I do believe. Then up next, I'll take us through the Vegas Knights roster. Uh, and I love the top six guys uh, in this in this makeup you look at the some of the mathematics behind it uh, you got Pacioretty leading the pack with 66 points uh, right down to Paul Stastny at 38 points and uh, veterans with a lot of it, playoff experience for this club in the first two years of their existence uh, who really are the signature aspect of this team that make up this group Mark Stone a, a wonderful fit in terms of this offense emerges as a bit of a team leader when you look at the whole makeup of this club and so a seamless uh, uh, assumption of that role for him uh, in this in this context he really has added so much to the mix and uh, really strengthens the depth of this team the uh, two guys like Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault they may, may not be high in terms of name recognition types but they both clocked in with 20 plus goal seasons and right around the 50 point mark so effective years from them Willie Carlson ha- dropped off a little bit in terms of his overall offensive numbers but still produced 46 points here and Paul Stastny might be the sleeper in the bunch AJ I know people are looking at his contract and saying well he didn't really live up to the to the cap uh, hit that that is assigned to his name but I still think a very valuable piece to this puzzle and a lock to uh, to center no worse than a second line and get some power play time here as well so you can go six deep in your playoff planning here easily and get real quality among the top of the Vegas roster AJ yeah, absolutely agree with that, Paul. The the top six here is is a phenomenal group and and really uh, battle tested in in a lot of ways and and able to produce. Um, you know, one player that I will mention that for now seems like he's on the outside looking in, but I would not be shocked to see him get into a game here is Peyton Krabs. Uh He um, his contract, his entry level deal, was signed back in November. So as as best as I can tell, he is eligible to play. Um, he didn't just sign it. That's kind of been the caveat. If you just signed your deal, you can't uh, play in the phase four. So I think Krabs is eligible to play. Um, if that's the case, uh, he is one to watch for DFS contests. You know, you look at the numbers again. Had 60 points this year in the WHL, which doesn't sound that impressive until you look at the fact that he did it in 38 games. Um, It just uh, was on a roll this season in the minors, and I think he probably would have reached uh, or at least pushed for the 100-point mark. So really 
Um, you know, he doesn't necessarily fit in with this fourth line. You know, William Car- Carrier, Nick Cousins, Ryan Reeves, that's a, a rough and tumble line there. But, you know, maybe he pushes a guy like Nicholas Roy for, for a spot um, on that third line. And so just a player to watch. Again, I, I believe he's eligible based on when he signed his entry-level deal. But I certainly wouldn't bet my life on that uh, <laughs> with all the uncertainty around this. So uh, I love this Golden Knights group just as you do, Paul. In terms of Dallas, you're looking at uh, a, a bit of a shakeup here as well. Um, again, we're going off camp lines, which can be a little bit difficult. Uh, things will become more clear, especially next week um, during the, the exhibition games. But right now, it looks like Gurianov is uh, going to play with Rupe Hintz and Tyler Sagan on the first line. Then Jamie Benn will be on the second line with Jason Dickinson and Corey Perry. And then you've got uh, Captain America Joe Pavelski anchoring the third line with Matthias Janmark and Alexander Radulov. So, again, this is all very up in the air. Um, it felt very weird to me when we're setting these lines on the Rotowire site. It felt weird to put Pavelski and Radulov as a third line, but that's just been the way the combinations have kind of been working out here. Um, and so it'll be interesting, again, interesting to watch here. In terms of point production, uh, not great years by by a couple of guys here. Now, Tyler Sagan got 50 points, certainly uh, no complaints there, but didn't hit the 20-goal mark. Jamie Benn also missed the 20-goal mark and actually missed the 40-point mark this season. So a pretty disappointing campaign um, all around for him. But it was obviously good enough to get them uh, into this top four uh, group there. So uh, some red flags for me in terms of, of – of where they're going and and again um, some serious question marks on whether or not these are going to be the actual line combinations here yeah i think i agree with you i i can't see pavelski outside the top six here i think he has to be no worse than the second line center and i i don't know Corey perry had a very subpar season offensively and he was really nicked up much of the year and radulov has to get more ice time than him on that right wing and and it's interesting that uh, the three guys that made up the top line on this team are all on three separate units right now with sagan ben and radulov i wonder if we'll see them reunited at some point so something to watch if you think that uh, they've underestimated here by putting radulov certainly on the third line that's the guy that i'm keeping an eye on in terms of average draft position and uh, considering that he's a, he's a rough and tumble guy too with a, with a bit of a, plays with a bit of an edge and that will come in handy when the serious shooting starts I do believe and I think the same applies to Pavelski so I look for them to move up in, in the depth stretch as you suggested AJ uh, we got to rate this group uh, one to four and uh, it's a tight call AJ but I think we're in agreement here yeah I mean I think I, I agree it's tight but for me there's there's a clear number one and a clear number four um, to be honest with you the golden knights I think are very clearly the number one group here um, for all the reasons that we talked about and not even um, you know, we didn't really touch on a guy like Alex Tuck or, or, or something like that who can really factor into to more um, more roles if, if they need him to. St. Louis is getting back Tarasenko, and I think that makes them very strong um, as well. Um, and then Colorado, as we said, they have their all-stars uh, apparently healthy and ready to go. And then Dallas, I think, is the clear bottom of this group for all the reasons that we just talked about, the underperformance this year. So for me, um, number one was an easy choice. Number four was was an easy choice. Um, and then St. Louis and Colorado is probably a, a coin flip that 
really centers around what version of Tarasenko are they getting. If he is fully healthy and fully fit, that's why I give them the edge. Um, but certainly I could see it going the other way. Yeah, I agree with the order, AJ. And we talked about the class of the, the Golden Knights on the top two lines, but don't sleep on Alex Tuck like you suggested. And Chandler Stevenson had a nice year in the third line center position here, along with Nicholas Roy. That's a pretty solid third line as well. And really even adds to tipping the scales in terms of the ranking that that we uh, kind of agree on in this in this grouping I would say for the most part is the call between Colorado St. Louis very close I gave Colorado the second place ranking in this uh, this group largely on on the basis of the star power uh, of the top end and particularly Nate McKinnon who I think is the best forward in this in this uh, grouping uh, overall St. Louis third and then Dallas fourth uh, I talked and I'll be consistent that the defensive structure of the stars has really got them this far and uh, and the subpar performance of a couple of the le- the top guys has solidified this fourth place ranking in this group but there are no slouches when you when you group it all together it's a very strong quartet and that's why they led the league in the eastern conference Let's call the shot, AJ, in terms of predicted order of finish in this round robin. I'm going to start it off by saying I think St. Louis is going to start off with a strong defense of their their uh, Stanley Cup uh, status and lead this uh, quartet out of the round robin. The Knights would come in second, Colorado third, and I think Dallas in tough to uh, play against uh, teams that have their offensive game ahead of the class that the Stars do, and uh, that should tip the scales and and relegate the Stars to the fourth position in this grouping. How do you feel about this? Do you kind of agree, or do you have any other comments? Yeah, I have no disagreements with you, Paul, on, on how this ranks out. St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, in that order, I think the the only caveat I'll throw in there is if they get, um, you know, prime, uh, just the best of the best version of Mark Andre Fleury, then they could certainly um, take over that number one spot because this is a guy that knows how to play in the postseason and knows how to steal games for his team. And so if if they get prime Fleury, um, you know, maybe they move up, but I, I agree. I think uh, St. Louis will will take the one seed here. So let's get into the real games, Paul. We'll we'll start with the playing series, um, and right off the bat, we've got Edmonton at at a five ranking going against Chicago, the twelve, who you know get into the playoffs because of this special format. I don't think anybody uh, in the Chicago area was really expecting them to play in the postseason, but uh, you know the unique format that we have here. They'll at least get a shot, although it may be relatively brief. Uh, starting with the netminders, look, this is the biggest weakness for the Edmonton Oilers, and and I really think it's something that could um, be a, a focal point for them heading into next season to try and shore this up. Now, I've seen a lot of people kind of assuming that Miko Koskinen is going to get the start here uh, for Game One, and I just don't know if that is quite as uh, open and shut as people want to make it seem. You know, Mike Smith's numbers were not as good uh, in terms of save percentage and goals against average, but he did record one more win. Um, you know, in, in their, their games, they played relatively even. And I think a fully healthy, rested Mike Smith might be a better option for them uh, than, than Miko Koskinen here. So that that's how I see it. I, I don't think it's a, a you know, very simple decision here. I think Mike Smith has the potential to steal the number one job uh, for at least game one of this series. Now, I imagine he'll be on a short leash, but 
Paul, is it a little more clear for you, or do you see some muddied waters here? I think it's important that they get Koskinen some experience, AJ, and, and some confidence. He just signed a three-year deal with an average annual value of $4.5 million per year, and they've got to throw some confidence his way. He's a latecomer to the NHL in his age 32 season. Mike Smith, age 38, has had a fine career in the NHL. He won me at that between you and I, too, so I'm partial to this guy, AJ. But I do think that he does come out second best uh, in terms of the way I see it playing out. The leash will be short, but I think it goes on Koskinen first to see if he can backstop this team. And uh, they'd love to see him go on a run and uh, hope that the, the team can go on a run. I could see him being a workhorse in this pairing. But Mike Smith, very good insurance, and I think that's the way they look at him as this playoff unfolds. I committed to him in our in our playoff pool, so I, I have a vested interest, I'll say, uh, personally. But I do think it's based on the fact that that they made a commitment to this guy. His regular season numbers, a little bit better than Smith as well. So I give him the inside edge. In terms of the uh, next position, we're going to look at the defensive structure of both teams. And uh, I'm going to say that, oh, we should look at the Chicago goaltending. What do you think about that? Let's talk about the Hawk goaltending. (laughs) Uh, I didn't want to gloss over it, but I guess I almost did. Corey Crawford, the subject of some rumors, if he's ready to play, AJ, that's a concern. Uh, I wonder if you have more information about that. Malcolm Subban uh, hadn't played for the the Hawks in, after he was acquired at the trade deadline, but he figures to get some action if Crawford is, is unhealthy. Uh, there's a question about that at the moment. And uh, Delia, the third stringer on, in this depth chart, is a guy that might also get into the mix if Subban struggles as well. So uh, really, they're headed into the, fi- the heart of the fire, though, against a top-notch Edmonton offense, and, uh, and they could be under siege. But uh, what have you got on, in terms of information on Corey Crawford, and uh, do, does Subban get the nod ahead of Dalia? Well, unfortunately, like I said off the top, there really is no information, but it certainly doesn't sound, uh, you know, uh, inspiring and and like he's going to, uh, you know, be available. The the kind of read between the lines is 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 not really good on on Corey Crawford being available. Things that that Subban has said about you know getting an opportunity or, or stuff like that really makes it sound. Um, like we are looking at the potential for Corey Crawford not to be available at all for this series. Uh, I think Subban will probably be the presumptive number one if, if that is the case. Um, but you're talking about a guy who's a, a career backup, hasn't really uh, shown much in, in opportunities you know, with, uh, with Vegas. I think his numbers, he had a, a decent year back in 2017-18, had, had 13 wins. Uh, and everything looked good, but since then the numbers have just gotten drastically worse and worse in limited opportunities, which is why they traded him away um, in order to get a more solid uh, backup uh, in Robin Leonard. And so um, I think you're talking about the potential of going into a series with Edmonton, and we'll talk about all the reasons to be afraid of that with either a career backup in Malcolm Subban or a guy who's got 18 career NHL games under his belt in Colin D'Elia. Uh, there are no good answers here for Chicago. So as bad as I think, um, you know, the, the net mining situation was here uh, if for, for Edmonton, talking about that being a weak point, without Corey Crawford, it's even worse, I think, uh, for Chicago. 
And the reason being, you alluded to the fact that uh, they have a dynamic duo at center in Edmonton that no team come close, comes close to in the NHL. And I don't want to hear you talk about Malkin and Crosby in the same breath as Dave McDavid and Dreisaitl. So don't <laughs> even go there this week. We're talking about the Eastern Conference next week, pal. But McDavid and Dreisaitl, of course, will go early in your playoff pool draft picks but you got to look at the players that are playing with them and maybe they get an uptick in terms of the ranking overall and I got my eye on Ryan Nugent Hopkins because he's been already penned in not penciled in as the left winger on Connor McDavid's line and that's good enough for me to make a pick on him early in my drafts to say that I think he's in line for a nice playoff if the Oilers can get on that run I think McDavid has been dying to play playoff hockey so he'll be inspired and and uh, Nugent Hopkins a former number one overall draft pick himself is no slouch in the offensive department this could be a real dyna- real good dynamic duo and then uh, a later round sleeper pick uh, qualifies himself as Zach Cassian again I'll use Tom Wilson as a reference point here a guy who rides shotgun for two very good offensive pieces and can uh, get a couple of bounces off his backside that'll go into the net to boost his offensive totals in this postseason the second line has a very interesting makeup it's all offense all the time with Andreas Athanasiu and Kyler Yamamoto on the wings uh, and between them the league's MVP in my estimation Leon Dreisaitl had an outstanding season to pace the the league in in scoring and uh, I think he's also primed for a nice long playoff run so Athanasiu and Yamamoto should go fairly high in your playoff fantasy drafts I do believe then uh, they have some insurance in terms of the depth chart here Tyler Ennis and James Neal two guys that really have uh, great offensive skills Riley Sheehan more of a defensive specialist locking down that role in the third line and Josh Archibald a young player who has is kind of more just a filler I think it drops off there on the right wing behind the top two guys there in terms of their ranking Archibald chase on Patrick Russell, none of them really figures to be in too many of the playoff draft uh, outlooks uh, overall. Jujar Kyra provides some, an interesting look uh, at uh, the forward position. I could see him moving up to a third-line role, but, uh, and he has some offensive upside ahead of some of the other guys there. So that's the way I see this offense. They've got some interesting choices among the top six, flanking the top two players in the, uh, in the league's offense this year. I think I, I can say that. Yeah, I think what I think what you've outlined is is what we'll see at least at the onset for for game one. I think if there's any sort of blips in terms of scoring um, from guys not named McDavid or Drysaddle, I think James Neal will be the first one to slot in uh, on that right wing with you know over a guy like Cassian or Yamamoto. And let's be clear, if this team wants to just skate circles around uh, any other club, they could put. Athanasiu, McDavid, and Yamamoto on a line together, and I don't know that any team could even keep up. And that's that's no knock on Drysaddle; he's certainly got some speed as well. But Connor McDavid, uh, a, a little bit faster here. So uh, you know, we'll, there's definitely a lot to like here uh, in terms of Chicago's grouping. Uh, it's you know, it starts with the familiar names that we are all really used to and and have seen there for for a long time. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taves. Uh, Patty Kane are going to be kind of your leaders with this group. Uh, you know, they've also got, uh, you know, Brandon Saad and Debrinkat. So, uh, again, another kind of thing to watch is you've got Jonathan Taves was, uh, you know, missing 
or left practice early yesterday. Uh, and so that's uh, an, an issue to watch and kind of monitor. But assuming he's back and fine today, which I think he will be based on uh, kind of other information going out there, it looks like he'll center to Brincat and Saad. And then Kane will actually be on the second line with Dylan Strom and Alex Nylander, uh, surprisingly. I'm a little surprised to see him getting that uh, second line spot over a guy like Dominic Kubelik who I think could certainly factor in there. Uh, Kirby Doc anchoring that that third line as well. Uh, and then a, a group uh, rounding out of Kajula, Camp, Highmore, and Carpenter. Dylan Sakura is the one kind of player that, that could maybe get a look and, and factor in here as well. I think, uh, you know, the thing with this team is that there's a lot of film on what guys like Taves and Kane can do. And what they can do is not what mcdavid and dry saddle can do so it's just a you know it's it's that same team a couple years removed you know the the kane and taves were the mcdavid dry saddle when they were winning stanley cups um the the biggest player to watch especially in your dfs contest because i think he's going to be on the cheaper side is dominique kubalik had 30 goals this season uh, nearly caught patrick kane for the team lead and and certainly may have pushed him for that spot uh, heading into there. So I really like the the group here. I think it's the strong point of the Chicago team, but it's just not as strong as Edmonton uh, in this group, Paul. You know what, AJ, you raised a very good point, and, and it, the playoff, strat- playoff pool strategy is, is something we want to talk about here because this team may not get past the first round. There's no question they're in tough against the Oilers, but in a five-game series, in a high-scoring series, you can expect a guy like Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves or even Alex Dabrinkat. These guys can be better than point-per-game guys, and that won't put them at the bottom of your playoff pool rankings when it's all said and done. So uh, a mid-to-late-round pick on some of these guys, not a wasted choice. And uh, if it does get even higher scoring, maybe one or two of them can even reach double figures in points. So good for you for making that a point. I agree with you. The head shaker for me so far in the composition of this roster is Alex Nylander as a second line left wing he's done very little at the NHL level to merit that 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 uh, promotion in the Hawks roster 26 points in 65 games played this season and uh, it's his first year uh, as a pro that he's shown much in terms of an offensive development maybe there's more to come and scratching the surface is what he's done this year but uh, relegated to a, sa- a third line role might be more appropriate. I think Kubalik is the guy that should get that second line nod. He led this team in goal scoring behind Patrick Kane's 33. He was second, actually, 30, 30 goals to 33 for Kane. And then on the right side, Drake Kajul is a guy that has played some power play time, too. So maybe there is some value there, depending on the role that's carved out for him. Again, keep an eye on the rotowire depth chart because we do an outstanding job of outlining who highlighting who is going to play on those power play roles and Kajula more often than not has factored in to the Chicago situation AJ up next we're going to take a look at the blue lines for the respective clubs and uh, I'm going to take a crack at the Edmonton Oilers group on the back end and uh, there's some size some toughness some scoring ability they've got a bit of everything here and uh, I, I the central figure for me is Darnell Nurse I mean he may not be the most offensively gifted on this roster uh, maybe you give that nod to Oscar Clefbaum but uh, or even Ethan Baird down the road but uh, Nurse has that all-around game and he's going to be a workhorse in this postseason I can see him getting upwards of 20 
23 to 25 minutes of ice time a game. And uh, before it's all said and done, this guy is going to be one of the top defensemen in the league. I will say that. I, I expect that from him. He's in his age 24 campaign, coming off a 33-point season. That's one less than Oscar Kleffbaum, who has had more of an opportunity to play in those high-octane minutes, uh, high leverage minutes on offense with the top power play unit but nurse is being groomed for a key role here and uh, could be a guy that uses a big shot and and moves into that mix with uh, some of the big boys on the back on the uh, forward ranks ethan bear a guy to keep an eye on as maybe the third option here mike green bailed on this playoff opportunity because of the uh, personal decisions and opted out so they're going to miss his offense they they acquired him at the trade deadline to play that key role but uh, sadly will miss out there and so from then it drops uh, drops down to youngster Caleb Jones is another guy they have some uh, faith in in terms of developing an offensive game down the road Chris Russell more of a shutdown role and maybe Matt Benning as well AJ what say you, you about this defensive compliment uh, before you go ahead and tell us about the Hawks back end yeah, I think you bring up a really good point um, in, in terms of Nurse and Clefbaum that um, really production-wise, they, they were pretty much on par this season. Now, Nurse did play an extra nine games um, and came one point short. So if you're looking at you know points per game, Clefbaum uh, did have a little bit more of a significant edge. And you know the, the one other factor here, I think, is Caleb Jones. Uh, when he did play with the the big club this season, uh, he didn't see a lot of minutes, just 14, just a little over 14 minutes a night in his 43 games, but still managed four goals uh, in that stretch. Now, certainly that's not a ton of points, but the reason I bring it up, um, you know, we want to talk all strategy here. So we've hit on some pools. We want to, I want to talk DFS, just looking at that first game slate um, for, uh, uh, for the on FanDuel, you've got a player like Clefbaum. Uh, he's a thousand dollars more than Darnell Nurse, but Nurse's production is pretty much on point. You can save some money there. And then among the guys coming in at that bottom level, thirty five hundred, you have a guy like Caleb Jones, who I think could factor in offensively for them and really save you some significant chunk of change when building out your DFS contest. So just some things to to consider and to to think about here but overall um, I do really like this group uh, and I think they have some youngsters that are going to be big factors for this team going forward if you're in a dynasty format uh, there should be no reason that you're letting Bear or Caleb Jones go Um, and certainly you know maybe in a in a keeper format depending on the number of keepers maybe one of those guys factors in as well in in terms of long term Uh, on the blue line for Chicago if their goaltending is their weakest uh, point it's not much better in terms of the blue line now I will exclude their top pairing here who looks like it'll be Duncan Keith and Adam Bachwist those guys uh, you know Keith is a solid uh, soldier has been for a long time and still has some left in the tank very clearly but uh, you know where you had two players reach the 30 point mark uh, for Edmonton, nobody did uh, for for Chicago, and that includes Duncan Keith. Bachwist uh, only played 41 games. I think he's a, a long-term uh, you know producer for them, and will be a bigger factor down the road. But from there, it really drops off for me, and part of that is because Calvin DeHaan is away from the team for personal reasons. Um, so they've they've kind of that's the one tipping thing that we've seen. It's it's not injury related it, it's a family issue that Dehan's away from so he could come back although 
Um, you know, whether that means some sort of quarantine when he rejoins the team, I don't know if he'll miss games because of that. Connor Murphy is one of those unfit to participate guys as well. So that potentially would have them going in uh, with the second pairing of Olimata and Slater Cuckoo. Olimata has to be one of the slowest blue liners <laughs> in the league and is just going to get torched um, by the speed of Edmonton. And then uh, Brent Seabrook would be on the third pairing. That's another guy who's not exactly fleet of foot anymore these days. And he would pair up with uh, any number of potential guys in this scenario. Lucas Carlson seems to be the guy, but it could certainly be Nick Sealer as well. Um, I think they really need to get Connor Murphy back, and, and hopefully it's not a long-term issue there because um, if even with DeHaan and Murphy, this is not a strong defensive group, one that I don't think can keep up with Edmonton, is going to have a ton of pressure from an Edmonton forecheck, and they are going to force turnovers, um, and it, it could get ugly here, but certainly there is uh, even bigger concerns if they don't have those guys. Paul, any reason for optimism in this group for our Chicago fans out there? No, I, you know what? I'm hard-pressed to say, so I mean... Uh, Keith and Seabrook, they got a lot of mileage on them. It may be a psychological boost for this club to get Seabrook back in the, in, in the fold here. But uh, I think this one could be a very quick series, AJ. I'm, I'm going to jump to our picks and say the Oilers in three. I don't know how Chicago comes around and gets a game off this club if the Oilers' offense is clicking even at 50% uh, efficiency. I just think there's there's too many holes on the back end uh, from the f- the forward lines. Uh, they're fine in Chicago, but the back end on defense is in question and in net in question. And you can't have that many question marks against a high-octane offense like the Oilers. I think this is going to be quick. It's going to be three, three and done, uh, in my opinion. AJ, what do you say? I mean, honestly, I, I, if, is there a mercy rule at play if they win the first two games by large enough margins, they just don't play the third one? Um, you know, so is Edmonton and two a, a possibility here? No, I, I do think it'll be Edmonton and three. And I'll, I'll mention that that betting article. One of the bets that I really like um, that's out there is Edmonton to win the series against Chicago. Three to nil is coming in at plus 375. Uh, that's a great return on your value um, for for that. And so I really think uh, that's something to consider and, and a bet that's really worth considering there. Yeah, I, li- I like that call, AJ. We switch our attention to the next series in the mix, the Nashville Predators versus the Arizona Coyotes, number six versus number 11. Take us through your goaltending look with Nashville, buddy. This is another one where I don't think there's any clear answers uh, heading into the 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 playoffs here. And I think part of that is because Pekka Rene really struggled this season. Um, actually played less games than UC Saros, though he did start one more game uh, than Saros. But when you factor in the number of times that Saros had to come in off the bench, um, you know, the actual games played went up there, had just 18 wins, which is uh, a really low, low number for Pekka Rene. And his save percentage was under nine. Uh, this season. So uh, a really a difficult year for him. But does the time off give him an opportunity to refresh and get back at it? I think it depends. You know, we talked about our, our playoff pool draft a little bit. Saros actually went pretty early um, before some other guys. Uh, Saros went two picks ahead of Sergei Bobrovsky, which means uh, the guy who picks him probably thinks, one, Nashville has a chance to win and, and play more games than 
than the Panthers and um, that, you know, that they would use Saros primarily. So it's certainly, um, again, a, a close one here. I think Rene gets the start day one, but it will be one of the shortest leashes out there uh, in terms of, you know, how much leeway they give him. Um, Paul, do you think Saros gets a nod uh, here for this group? If you're looking at performance this season, I don't think there's any doubt, but do you look at the playoff pedigree of Pekka Rene? They may give him the uh, luxury of a game one start, but I agree with you that the, the uh, leash will be very short here. And you look across the ice at the other end, and it may be the same story between the, the two uh, top two experienced netminders there, Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta. Certainly Kemper has had a bit of a tough go because of uh, personal issues that he's dealing with, family illness in his household that marred a season for him I'll say uh, uh, numbers were were there in terms of goals against average but the appearances were shy of what you might have expected there uh, anti Ranta 33 games played probably appeared in more games and uh, his his save for both save percentages were right there in a 92 93 percent range where you like them to be Ranta's goals against though was almost half a puck higher than Kemper so I'm going to say Kemper has the inside track on the starting role here but again, just as you suggested at the other end of the ice with Nashville, I think the leash could be very short. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Kemper gets gets the start day one. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's kind of a toss. This is one that absolutely, if, if they were in the, the top four here, um, you know, this is one where you would see those first three round robin games being the determining factor, I think. Um, unfortunately, Arizona doesn't have that luxury here. Uh, and so it really complicates things for them uh, in terms of the net mining. For this Nashville group, it, it really starts and stops again with Roman Yossi, who had 65 points in 69 games this year. A, a phenomenal season for them, or for him rather, and really has excelled in what I like to call the post-Suban era in Nashville. Um, there is a bit of a drop-off, but they have point producers beyond that in, in Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm. I think what's interesting is to see what they do outside of the top four. So it's going to be Yossi and Ellis, Ekholm and Dante Fabro. I think that's locked in and for sure. Do they go with uh, maybe kind of, I'll call them untested or a little bit more unknown in Jared Tenorti and Corbinian Holzer? Or do they go with the more established guys like Dan Hamhuis and Yannick Weber as that pairing? And I wouldn't even sleep on a guy like Alexander Carrier um, potentially getting a, a game here at, at some point, depending on how things are shaking out. So um, there, there are really there are some questions for this group, but at the top, it's just so locked in that it's not even a concern uh, if I'm a, a fan or if I'm looking at this team on what they're going to do here, Paul. Uh, what do you like or dislike about this defensive group? Well, of course, when you're talking about Roman Yossi, you're talking one of the elite defenders in the league. In fact, he's nominated for the James Norris Trophy based on his performance this season. Almost a point a game offensively and a plus 22 rating. One of the toughest guys to play against uh, as he's a strong defender as well. The guy I think that might be underestimated in some drafts is Ryan Ellis, AJ. He missed a chunk of the season. But he, do, he too almost approached the 40-point mark, and he did it in only 49 games. So I think if you're ranking top defensemen in this league, this is a guy that, that shouldn't, should probably be rated a li little higher than you might uh, initially based on, on just looking at the straight points that he accumulated this season. And maybe one of the 
best team-friendly contracts in the entire league. Matthias Eckholm, not too far behind with 33 points in 68 games. So that's a pretty good trio. And uh, the guy that slipstreams into that mix, uh, Dante Fabro, to your point, he, f- he was not as big an offensive producer on the regular season, but they have high hopes for this guy. He is only a 21 21- year old player right now and uh, figures to learn learn a lot and maybe he's done a lot of learning in the four months that we've had off so I think you can rank him a little bit higher than the point production that you've seen out of him to date and then uh, I mean you got to fill in the third pairing somewhere but I just don't think there's a lot of offense in that mix maybe the the guy who on uh, in the past has been productive in that regard but he had a terrible offensive season this year is Yannick Weber but uh, the bread and butter here on your offense of uh, offensive choices locked into the top four as you suggested AJ so with that we jump ahead and we look at the uh, Arizona Coyotes defense and uh, they have a couple of guys there and uh, who rank high in terms of name recognition Alex Goligoski the top scorer among the defenders here with 32 points in 70 games played the captain uh, Oliver Ekman Larson maybe a little bit less in terms of point production per game than some of the other top defensemen in the league but don't forget this guy is an elite player and he gets a ton of ice time on this team and and will play in all, all the offensive situations so I really think that he might be the top defensive option back here and then Jacob Chikrin had an outstanding season in terms of scoring goals led the team with 12 and with that big shot you factor him on the power play he had five power play goals in the regular season he'll be a featured performer in the mix here uh, Jordan Osterley rounds out the top four offensive pieces here and then it's Jalmerson and Demers who are kind of cast in the lockdown defensive roles in their positions on this roster yeah I absolutely agree, agree with your kind of assessment there I really like Jacob Chisher and um, and have kind of waited for him to, to maybe turn a corner here um, and see that point production really creep up. Now, what I liked about his season is that he had 12 goals, which led the blue line in terms of goal, uh, goal scoring. Um, but I would have liked a little bit more overall points. Um, he did have eight of his 26 points on, on the power play. So I think uh, continuing to step into that role and take on more, I, I really like his game and, and where he can go. Uh, in, you know, in terms of long-term development. Again, you know, it, it feels like Chisherin's like a veteran, right? Because he's been around for a couple of years. But this is a guy that's only 21. He played 68 games as a as an 18-year-old rookie, um, you know, back in 2016. So, you know, there is still a lot of development time on his game, a lot of places he can go. His time of time on ice went up to 22 and a half this season. That's the highest it's been so far. And so I really expect him to continue to grow and develop as, as a long-term uh, option here. And I think I, if I'm being honest with myself, I will probably overutilize him in DFS contests because I do like his game and where he can go uh, so much. We'll look next at, at the Nashville forwards from there. Um, and, you know, you talk about the, the top line here being Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Victor Arvidsson. This is a, a you know, kind of grouping that we didn't get to see a ton of this season um, because Arvison had some injury concerns earlier in the year. He did end up playing in 57 games and only got 28 points this year. So a, a pretty disappointing campaign for him all around. But I think overall, uh, he really rounds out a very nice, strong, honestly, kind of um, underappreciated top line here. And I think part of that is because they don't have 
uh, as much as Philip Forsberg can be, and I think should be that feature player, you know, they don't have an Ovechkin, a Tarasenko, you know, uh, uh, that one big guy um, that rounds out the group. Now, early returns from camp indicate that Kyle Turris is going to get move to the wing and play on the second line with Matt Duchesne as the center and Mikhail Granlin uh, on the other wing. And so that's kind of a bit of a shakeup from, from what we saw earlier in the season. Um, there is a new coaching staff, obviously, um, you know, with, with lovely let's exit earlier in the year. And so that could be a factor here as well. My one concern about that is it, for me, it hurts the overall depth um, you end up Nick Benino moves into a third line center with Rocco Grimaldi and Craig Smith. And then Colton Sissons is the fourth with Kelly Yarnrock and Austin Watson. Uh, Watson also missed some time this, this year, um, for, for various issues. And so I, I think the thing about Turris is I do think he's a natural center. And I think I would prefer in terms of overall depth to have him as three and Benino as four. Um, but obviously, if they want to, you know, kind of stack that second line, I think uh, that might be the way for them to go. Paul, uh, do you have any any thoughts on that? Do you like Turris more in his natural position here? You know what? I when I think of Kyle Turris, I remember the junior version of Kyle Turris. What a dynamic player he was, AJ. But after a couple of bounce. Uh, rough stints in the NHL recently the stock has really fallen on him and this might be a a last chance saloon here in terms of top six opportunity and the leash will be short there Uh, I think options behind him Craig Smith probably will be the one that that lands in that role if if Tourist doesn't deliver early on but to me the major disappointment on the regular season is the fact that they didn't get as much as they thought from the two centers ranking in the number one and two slots here Duchesne and Johansson costing this club a combined 16 million under the cap and they combined for 78 points uh, which is barely over a point per game between them for this team and they got to get more mileage out of those two guys to drive this this offense here it's a team that's based on a very sound defensive structure but with the skill that those two guys have they needed to produce much more than they did in the regular season and maybe the postseason is a chance for them to get a get a bit of a reprieve a bit of a restart if you will uh, the dynamic aspect of this offense is on the left flank Forsberg and Granlin maybe the two most skilled players on this roster offensively and uh, they're going to rely on the puck distribution skills and the setup ability of Johansson and Duchesne to drive their numbers too so really uh, those four guys are the key aspect of this offense to to determine their overall fortunes. Harvidsson is a very nice piece to round out that top unit as you you suggested and maybe a sneaky good value play as he underperformed this season but I do think there's much more that the offense can get out out of the name recognition guys that I've highlighted here. AJ. So now we'll take a look at the Arizona Coyotes offense, and this is a team that features one of uh, one of AJ's favorite players here, Phil Kessel, uh, over from Pittsburgh uh, via Toronto. He wants to he likes to remind me of that aspect every chance that he gets. <laughs> Phil uh, only had 14 points and se- 14 goals in 70 games, well off the goal scoring prowess that he's displayed throughout his career, but make no mistake when the chips are down this guy can play and and i expect him to to have a bit of a 
uh, an uptick from that level of performance during the regular season. He is surrounded by some talent on this offense. Uh, Taylor Hall at the top of the ladder. He's playing for his next contract. There'll be a lot of eyes on him. He was the leading scorer in this group uh, last uh, this past season with 52 points in 65 games. And this is a real key audition for him. If one team in this salary cap limited uh, offseason uh, wants to rise up and, and uh, pluck him, it'll only be because he has that outstanding playoff run. Certainly capable of that. So keep an eye on those two guys. They lead a pack of younger guys, uh, guys like uh, Clayton Keller, Connor Garland, Christian Dvorak, younger guys who are getting their feet wet, and you can include Nick Schmaltz in that mix, all in the high 30s, low 40s range in terms of scoring in the regular season. So they slot in behind the two signature players in this offense that I highlighted here. I think Kessel can be drafted in your in your pools. He'll probably be a later round pick than he should. If you think they're going to get by this first round, I could see him having uh, a chance to score as many as 10 points over two series. Uh, I don't think the, the Yotes are going to go any further than that. So that's the kind of profile that I give Kessel and Hall maybe a little bit higher just because of the fact that he is their game breaker in Arizona. Yeah, Paul, you touched on a, a huge factor there in, in, these, in your playoff pools is, um, you know, if, if you think Arizona can get by, then yeah, then absolutely. Taylor Hall adds some value. Phil Kessel, you know, maybe you even look at a, a Nick Schmaltz. I, I mentioned Chisharin as as well. Um, Oliver Ekman Larson. But if you think Nashville is going to win this, even if the game, go, even if the series goes to five, if if you think Nashville is going to win, uh, I just don't know if there's enough value to go for anybody other than Hall. And then what you think you can get out of Phil Kessel. Look, you said the 38-point the total. That is his lowest point total uh, since 2007 and 2008 uh, when he was with Boston. You know, In fact, it's the lowest goal total since his rookie season with the Boston Bruins when he put up just 11. Um, you know, to highlight this even further, Kessel put up better numbers in the lockout-shortened 2012-13 season when he only played 48 games. Um, so really, it, it is you cannot uh, stress how badly this season went, uh, in my opinion, for, for Phil Kessel here. And so for me, uh, if Arizona, if I don't think Arizona is making it past Nashville, I don't know that I, I'm taking even Phil Kessel outside of this Arizona group. And, and it really may just be Taylor Hall as the only option there. Now, speaking of the picks, We'll get right down to the nitty-gritty here, Paul. Uh, I'll go first this time, and, and I will take the Nashville Predators in five games. I, I do think there's enough talent on this uh, Arizona club to force it to five. Uh, four games just feels a little bit too short to me, um, and it's certainly not going to be decided in three, in my opinion here. Right. I think that we've made the case that the goalie situation is in flux in both teams. I think that... Uh, you can make a case that both offenses underproduced as well. And then the defenses on both teams have some real good name recognition types. Maybe the nod goes to Nashville in that regard, and that gives them the slight edge in the entire series. I'm in agreement with you. I think this has five games written all over it. We go to the next series, AJ, and that's the Vancouver Canucks, the seventh-ranked team versus the tenth-ranked team, the Minnesota Wild. And uh, there's a, a couple of different l landscapes in terms of the goalie uh, situations here. Uh, why don't you introduce us to the Vancouver one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you look at, um, you know, most likely, most logical situation is you're going to have Jacob Markstrom get the start. 
here for game one. I think this is another one where if they had games that didn't necessarily count, quote unquote, like the round robin ones, Thatcher Demko could certainly get a look. But when uh, it comes right down to it, Jacob Markstrom has earned the right this season with 23 wins and 16 uh, losses in 43 appearances. Um, You know, the other kind of interesting uh, stat here, you look at games started by Markstrom, uh, 43. um, He never uh, came off the bench. And Thatcher Demko only has two extra games compared to his game started to his games played, which means Markstrom only got pulled twice. Uh, this season. And so I think that's that's really a, a strong case for him uh, and, and should be uh, a pretty solid uh, choice for their number one. I don't think there's going to be a lot of discussion here uh, for, for them moving forward. Paul, do you see it any differently? No, I don't. I think Markstrom uh, worked his way into uh, league-wide recognition as one of the better goalies in the loop. I would certainly rank him in the the lower part of the top 10 in the league based on what he's done this season. The goals against uh, 2.75. They'd like to see it come down a little bit, but they have no quarrel with the save percentage, which was just a shade under the 92% mark. And uh, he will be in Vancouver uh, locked in as the number one goalie for the foreseeable future, I do think. But they do have a very credible backup in Thatcher Demko. And uh, you know, over a long campaign, he'd get his share of the workload. But I, I can't see how Markstrom doesn't get the the full ride this uh, for as far as Vancouver goes this off season, this uh, playoff season. And then uh, Minnesota is a bit of a, uh, a nebulous circumstance here, and it's largely because uh, Devin Dubnik had a had a tough season in terms of per, again personal issues in the family and uh, that he was plagued with uh, concerns, and uh, he he posted a sub. 500 winning record and the goals against average ticked up well over the three mark which was high for him and uh, Alex Stalock took the opportunity to uh, slipstream by him and almost steal the number one role outright by the end of the year his number is substantially better than a guy who has been the incumbent here for a long time both of them uh, around age 32 33 so uh, based on what has happened this season maybe you have to give Stalock the inside lane but Dubnik is the guy with the more uh, recognition in terms of the career to date so uh, I think that uh, Stalock might get the start but if he falters Dubnik will retain uh, regain the number one uh, nod in a hurry here well, this is another very interesting one. When you look at our our, our uh, you know postseason pool draft here, Stalock went in the fourth round, and and we're we're into uh, we're just going to start uh, the ninth round. And at this point, Devin Dubnik hasn't been selected by anybody. For comparison's sake, you look at uh, you know both Pittsburgh goalies are off the board, and there's some question which one will start. All three of the Rangers goalies have been taken at this point. Um, so clearly there's not a lot of faith in our in our uh, kind of expert group here that Devin Dubnik is, is going to get any minutes. Now, I will say I'm the next person to pick, and I certainly am going to consider it because um, you do need plenty of netminders at this point and, and uh, one to, to watch. I, I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee that Stalock is going to get uh, the, the initial look here uh, between the pipes just because Dubnik is the established veteran so um something again you said it paul something to watch there's always something to watch with all these teams i feel like we're saying that over and over again but we are just in such uncharted territory here uh in in terms of of net minding and and how this tournament is going to play out i'll lead us into 
the defense with the, the Vancouver Canucks. And, uh, you know, this is a, a group that um, is led again by a youngster, much like Colorado in, in Quinn Hughes. He had 53 points this year. And then, uh, you know, Tyler My- or Alexander Edler uh, followed him with 33 points and, and then Tyler Myers with 21. And I think the one disappointing uh, kind of production here for, for my money is Troy Stetcher. I, th- I think six, 17 points in 69 games. I, I was pegging him to be more of an offensive uh, contributor here for, for this team in, in the long term. And really, he just hasn't lived up to that billing. Now, that's not to say he's turned into a bad defenseman, um, just hasn't really done what what I was going to expect. And so I think what you'll see is you'll see Hughes paired up with Chris Tanev. Edler will be with Tyler Myers. And then uh, looks like Oscar Fattenberg is going to get the the start with Troy Stetcher. But I think Jordy Ben, uh, Ashton Sautner, and even Brogdon Rafferty could all um, compete for for a possible spot here in the lineup. And and it'll be interesting to see who goes with the team uh, when they travel uh, to Edmonton, to the the hub cities. They'll have to shrink these rosters up just a little bit. Shouldn't be a ton of cuts, but they obviously can't bring – everybody um so that's kind of my breakdown of this group uh paul uh what do you think in terms of value outside of quinn hughes obviously he's going to go in pools uh anybody else have value to you i i have lots of time for alex edler aj he's a power play specialist uh, a long-standing career in that regard where he's uh, picked up a lot of his points over his uh, time in vancouver heading into his age 33 season dropped off a little bit in terms of the point per game rate that we're used to seeing he would he would have been headed to a plus 40 points if, if it had gone the distance but he did miss some time to injury and of course the season was a little shorter than expected as well tyler myers is uh is a guy that took a hit behind the other two fellas that are ahead of him in the scoring ranks uh, on this blue line and maybe is more cast in a defensive role a bit of a departure from earlier years in his career where he was more noted for the offensive side of the game. Ten of you mentioned this guy uh, as well, uh, a veteran. Uh, he is a guy I expected more production out of than 20 points in 69 games as well. And Stetcher uh, in the same camp, 17 and 69, as you suggested. But all in all, this is a pretty, pretty talented team in terms of the offensive upside from the back end here. So there are some values here, but I stick with the top two guys, Hughes and Edler, that should go fairly quickly in your drafts if you expect Vancouver to go on a long run. On the flip side, we go to the Minnesota club, and this is a team like Nashville that is is a club that really is led by their defense, uh, particularly the top four guys on that back end. Ryan Suter and Jared Spurgeon, two very good offensive defensemen. Suter perhaps ranking easily in the top 10 scorers among the Blue Liners with 48 points in 69 games played uh, this past uh, off season this past season and uh, uh, ably supported by Spurgeon who led the club with 12 goals and 32 points overall uh, he plays uh, first line pairing minutes again uh, alongside Suter uh, the way it lines up here Brodine and Dumba they've been waiting on Dumba to make a breakthrough in terms of uh, his offensive game uh, I think it's coming but it didn't happen during the course of this regular season 24 points in 69 games I think he should be capable of much more in, a, in the next regular season but maybe he shows a bit of that uh, in this playoff run Brodine 28 points for his part not known as a goal scorer but a good setup guy with 26 assists here so uh, but all in all he has the highest plus 
plus minus on this back end quartet. And uh, the next guy uh, in that regard, Carson Soucy, is a third pairing guy, plus 16 and seven goals. So maybe he's going to challenge for some of the offensive minutes here if he continues to flex those muscles and uh, score like he did in the 55 games played. Seven goals is not bad production there, but you can see from this uh, this top six on the back end, Brad Hunt rounds it out. It's a pretty solid group, AJ, so uh, the strength of this team, certainly. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I do agree with that. I think this is the one maybe area that, that Minnesota probably has the edge. Um, obviously, you know, I would put, you know, if you're putting all the defensemen in one grouping, I'm going to put, uh, you know, Hughes at the very top. I think he's the best defenseman on either team. But from there, it probably goes, you know, a couple of Minnesota guys, maybe Edler. And I think overall you would rank more Minnesota guys in, in the top of this group than, than you would Vancouver. So um, it is it is a strong group. Um, I don't think there's a lot of question marks for, for them. I think what we've seen all season is what we're going to get. I don't think anybody's going to really challenge uh, Sosi or, or Hunt for that that last spot in, in part because Greg Petron, uh, it will be sitting out the um, he won't be able to make make it back in time due to an upper body injury so he's out of the lineup for for the postseason here uh, looking at the forwards that's a different story and I think you have a strong advantage here in my opinion for for Vancouver and that's obviously uh, led by Elias Pettersson off the top and and he will lead this group uh as far as they want to go but they also have a guy uh who can score goals on his wing and jt miller um you know overall they've got four 20 goal scorers here to to round out with with Pedersen and miller they also have bo horvat tanner pearson um and tyler Toffoli, i think is going to be the guy it looks like he'll be on that top line assignment with Pedersen and miller um, and I really like, I, I've mentioned this before, I love Adam Gaudet, and I think he's really stepped into his own and will probably anchor that that third line for them. Looks like Anton Roussel and Jake Vertanen will, will pair up with him. Uh, and then, you know, there could be some ro- rotating parts. Does Michael Furlan play? Um, does Louis Erickson play, or does he end up on, on the sidelines? Brandon Suter. Uh, another player that maybe could or could not factor here and um, but overall I like the depth here especially down the middle they've got goal scorers on on both of those top two lines and really there's not a lot about this group that I look and say oh that's a big concern to me there really isn't much in their forward group that that worries me if they end up with Louis Erickson and Michael Furland as their fourth line those are guys that are capable of scoring in, in, uh, and have shown it in, in the past. And so really um, not too many worries here for me, Paul. Is, is there something about this group that concerns you, or are you on the same page I'm, as me? I'm definitely on the same page as you, and I think the, a lot of the credit for this goes to Brian Benning, who's acquired the likes of Miller and Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli to really round out a solid top, top six. They did uh, draft Pedersen, Horvat, and Besser, to complete that group but he he should get a lot of credit for the fact that he's filled in with some key acquisitions among the forward ranks to give him that solid look and I agree with you that God Adam Gaudet is the guy that uh, I think is is going to have the big arrow up going forward next season 
He may even threaten for a top six role somehow here. Uh, I don't know how you unseat the top two centers, but maybe they shift him to a wing position. I, I think this guy is just a perfect uh, third-line center with real good insurance of the, the top six positions here. So uh, a really solid look for, for this team when you consider the top three lines. Vertanen is a guy finally made a, made a bit of a breakthrough this season with 36 points too. So uh, 36 points from a third-liner, that's pretty good news, I think, if you're looking at the offense here. And it rounds out with Antoine Roussel, who got 13 points in 41 games played. Plays the game pretty rough though and and so you need that presence in your lineup so i really like the mix here and you know they got veterans like beagle and erickson insulating them so should they run into air injury issues and michael furland another guy that adds some toughness so i really think the vancouver situation is in in good shape offensively here and produces a big edge when i look at the minnesota counterparts among their uh, offensive pieces here they are led by uh, Kievan Fiala, who had an outstanding uh, second half to his season, uh, almost wound up a point-per-game player, 54 points in 64 games to lead this offense. Eric Stahl kind of took a bit of a backward step finally, but he's in his age 35 season, 47 points in 66 games. Zach Parise and Matt Zuccarello both chipped in with offense as expected. Luke Coonan was a nice surprise, too, with 31 points. Joel Erickson Eck is another guy with an offensive upside. And you'll notice that I haven't mentioned Miko Koivu, and that's because he slumped to 21 points in 55 games. That's the big arrow going down. And quite frankly, the big concern for me with Minnesota, when you consider the depth at center for the Vancouver Canucks, I think Minnesota takes a bit of a hit because Eck and Koivu lock in at the second line and third line center positions. And that's now nowhere near what they're going to face on the other side. So uh, I think they take a big hit at the center position when comparing with what Vancouver offers in the top three slots there and uh, it tips the scales for me when we look at the picks in this series AJ I mean uh, unless you have any closing thoughts on Minnesota I'm, I'm driving right to the picks and I say Vancouver has the edge at the forward position and I think it gives them a narrow edge in the series because we gave Van Minnesota the edge on defense and maybe in goal uh, Vancouver gets the edge too so on ba on that two to one basis I think Vancouver in five for me yeah I mean I'm, I'm gonna go Vancouver in four um, I think it'll be a little bit quicker series. And part of that is, you know, Bill Gurian can say whatever he wants about they weren't giving up or, or whatever. But when you trade away Jason Zucker, uh, you're throwing in the towel for the this season. And there's no way adding Alex Galchenyuk for Jason Zucker made them any better. That's for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and so this is a bonus season for them. You know, they were 10th in, in points or, or bonus games for them. Rather, they were 10th in points, which you know, meant they wouldn't have been a playoff team uh, or point percentage rather. And so I, I think Vancouver, to for all the reasons that you highlighted, um, really runs away with it in, in four games. I think there's enough talent on Minnesota to steal one here, um, but I wouldn't expect much more than that. Uh, we'll take a look at our last uh, series here, and that's going to be the, the one that I think is going to be potentially the most fun to watch. Uh, of these series and that's number eight calgary taking on number nine winnipeg um, starting with the net mining situation you know you've got uh calgary has i i think uh some some question marks in, in that group I, I think david riddich gets the start um but do you consider 
looking at Cam Talbot, if, if there's any struggles here or anything like that, I, I certainly don't think that's off the table. Um, you know, for, for his part, uh, Riddich, you know, has seemingly taken over as the number one, 24 wins, 17 losses, uh, but a .907 save percentage. That's not great. And Calum Talbot's numbers were actually better at .919 in terms of save percentage. His goals against average was about a quarter of a goal less. Um, so really, uh, you know, I think Riddich gets to start. But if it's a bad first game, if Winnipeg comes out and, and maybe even runs Riddich out um, of the net, Cam Talbot could be your game two starter, I think, here for this group. Paul, uh, do you think it's open and shut here? I I think you've hit it right on the on the on the head there uh with your call Talbot his numbers were better than Riddich but uh big save Dave is a guy that earned that nickname in Calgary I don't know he didn't make enough big saves because that goals against was dangerously close to three per game and you'd like to see it a lot lower and so I I do think that Talbot waits in the wings if Riddich does struggle early on and no matter which one goes in the nets I think that you clearly give the nod to Winnipeg when you're comparing the goalies in in this series Connor Hallibuck one of the Vezina nominees in fact AJ when you look at the overall league performance this year he was right up there among the league leaders in wins and this team doesn't make the playoffs unless he produces at the level that he did the goals against 257 the save percentage 92 percent when you consider it was behind a very make shift blue line i think connor hallibuck should get a purple heart never mind the Vezina <laughs> trophy for what he did this season and uh, really uh, is one of the few goalies uh, there's not as many as as you think that are li- lined up to play in a long playoff run but i think hallibuck suits up every night that winnipeg plays a playoff game this season i absolutely agree with that i, I think it's pretty uh, open and shut for them in, in terms of what it'll look like. You know, Laurent Brassois missed a little bit of the start of the camp, and that was the one maybe goaltending situation where, you know, a guy was missing that you said, ah, doesn't really matter because he wasn't going to play. Uh, if Eric Comrie is the number two, uh, so be it. Uh, you know, Connor Hellybuck will carry this team uh, regardless. Uh, we'll we'll dive into the, the Calgary blue line here. Um, and I, I think this is uh, one group that, uh, you know, is maybe a bit of a strength um, for uh, the Flames in this matchup. You've got, obviously, Giordano at the top. Looks like Rasmus Anderson is, is going to be the guy that he pairs up with. Um, and, and, you know, we'll, uh, you know, talking about point production, uh, it's going to be, obviously, Giordano who, who kind of leads the way for them, in, in my opinion here. Um and they'll have to, you know, Anderson, for his part, though, still got 22 points this year. Not not a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. You'll have Noah Hannafin and Eric Gustafson as, as the second pair, TJ Brody and Oliver Kylington as the third. Now, I think that could certainly shift around. Brody uh, will probably log more minutes uh, than, than, than a third pairing kind of figure. So we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out at the end of the day. Um, but uh, his offensive upside is, I think, a little bit more limited. Um, he had, you know, 19 points. That was fourth best on the team this year. But his ability as a shutdown defender will definitely be needed 
against this Winnipeg group. So uh, that's what I like about Calgary here, Paul. What what are your thoughts about Winnipeg? Uh, the flames okay well Giordano clearly the leader of this club uh, the captain 31 points in 60 games well off the offense that he produced last season but he's going to get the high leverage minutes on the power play here uh, ably supported I'll say by Eric Gustafsson who's coming off a 60 point season last season dropped off to only 29 this year but I think he could get the uh, some high leverage minutes too and uh, prove people a bit of a surprise uh, I think this is a guy who who's a bit of a dark horse if Calgary advances he could be a point producer of some significance here maybe up even up out see unseating Giordano as a top offensive aspect uh, from the blue line and then it drops off uh, significantly in my estimation Anderson and Hannafin uh, in the second pairing second tier of scorers among the blue liners Brody is uh, if you're talking about up with a bullet this guy's down with a bullet uh, for me uh, fell off uh, a long-standing run as the riding shotgun with Giordano he's not going to get that opportunity this this postseason and that hurts his his overall value in in uh, playoff pools it drops off precipitously and and this a guy unless there's injuries among the top four I think he's relegated to third pairing minutes so and Oliver Shillington is there for his uh, to gain experience he's the youngest of uh, of them all heading in into his age 23 season next year uh, seven points in 48 games limited minutes I'll say uh, but uh, I think he gets his feet wet and gains more experience and maybe down the road moves into a top four situation on this club. But for this season, this season, look at the top four guys as Giordano with Anderson, Hannafin and Gustafsson. From there, AJ, uh, what about the Winnipeg defense? Well, I think here is, you know, you talked about it being a, a much maligned uh, blue line throughout much of the season, and, and that was certainly warranted. Um, but they have some guys at the top who I think uh, can have really strong uh, value in both pools and, uh, you know, DFS contests. You've got Neil Pionk, who had 45 points this season. Josh Morrissey had 31. And uh, unless I'm looking at something wrong, I think in our uh, postseason pool, I think you took Pionk and I took Morrissey. So obviously you and I are high on these two guys. Now, uh, you mentioned a big drop off for the Flames. It's even bigger in my opinion, for, for Winnipeg when you fall down to Tucker Pullman at, at 16, Lucas Pisa, who may or may not even play at, at 10 points, Dmitry Kulikov at, at 10 points as well. So it's uh, not a deep group, uh, and so that's obviously a concern for them. Now, to touch a little bit on, on DFS here for uh, our listeners that, that dabble in that as well, you look at the top players that that first game, August August first. You know you've got Chris Letang, sixty eight hundred. You've got a number of guys coming in above the five thousand range, like Clefbaum, Shea Weber, Duncan Keith. You can really get some decent value with Pionk at forty seven hundred, or even lower um, for Morrissey at forty four hundred on on Fanduel in that contest. So these are guys that not only I think are great additions for for your pools because they will lead the way in terms of production um you know they're also dfs plays as well you know i i didn't mention dylan Demello as well he um didn't play a ton of games uh for winnipeg just 10 didn't have any points in in those outings he's not really a huge offensive producer for them um but certainly he could get uh the occasional point or two here as well yeah i think aj if you're looking for uh possible point producer in this grouping Sammy Niku it might be a guy that that 
contributes. But otherwise, I think you and I have plucked the value out of this defensive uh, roster in terms of offensive upside with Pionk and Morrissey leading the charge there. It, in terms of the minutes played, DeMello and Bolia. I mean, sorry, DeMello and Kulikov are guys that will log upwards of 20 minutes a game, but that's all almost exclusively in, in defensive zone starts and defensive posture. It's uh, the offensive pair, uh, the offensive guys like Morrissey and Pionk will get the offensive starts more often than not, and so uh, watch for that. And then the special teams play. Uh, Pionk is their power play quarterback, and Morrissey may be a secondary option. So I think we got it nailed in terms of the value that we assign to this blue line as well uh take us through the forwards in calgary there's a pretty good firepower at that that end of the roster yeah obviously at the at the top you've got johnny hockey johnny gaudreau sean monahan and elias lindholm um all capable scorers and producers now the one kind of weird thing that's been going on with calgary is that um you know they haven't really talked about it much but gaudreau hasn't been skating or at least not at the start of camp, wasn't skating with kind of what you would deem the main group. Um, and they had um, some other guys filling in uh, at that top spot. I, I, I'm not really sure what might be going on there. They made it sound very clear, like it wasn't injury-related or, or something else. So, um, again, something just to keep an eye on. It was, it was very strange to see the fact that Goudreau was skating. He was on the ice, but he was with you know what you would call the like call up secondary group so keep an eye on that just to make sure that he's going to be back on that first line but i certainly think he will be now their second line actually includes their leading score i talked about the firepower from the top group but it was actually matthew to chuck who led the way with 61 points this season 23 goals which was second only to elias lindholm and he'll uh skate with uh michael backland and it looks like andrew mangiapani We'll get the look there. This is a team that had some guys in and out of the lineup, so it's certainly not set at this point. Their third group, uh, I think for me, leaves a little something to be desired in terms of offense. You've got Milan Lucic, Sam Bennett, and Dylan Dube, um, I, you know, guys that can contribute at times but are, are very prone, I think, to, to slumping, especially Lucic. Uh, for for his part so um, as much as I like the top six of this group I have a lot of concerns for the bottom six Derek Ryan hasn't been participating in in practices lately that's obviously a concern for them as well Um, I think he would certainly factor up the roster a little bit more could potentially push a guy like Backlund uh, you know from for more opportunities or maybe be moved to the wing to play um, on on that line so we'll we'll see how uh, his potential absence kind of factors into this group as well all right aj i'm going to say that uh, the guy who might be the value play in this pick is the guy that rounds out that second line andrew manjapani he had a very strong finish to the regular season and maybe the most the lowest regarded among the top six so if there's a value in this group i think he might be it Monahan's average draft position kind of surprises me overall in what I've seen across the board and and as a guy despite having that number one center role here between Lindholm and Gaudreau uh, maybe less regarded than he has should be in terms of the whole mix offensively he's going to get a lot of the playoff power play minutes uh, uh, offensive starts for sure 48 points in 78 games just doesn't tell the whole story about him and he's a special teams uh, star when it comes to the power play production so uh, that's a guy who you might want to keep your eye on in terms of late round picks 
beyond that, you know, they have depth players who might factor into the special teams. I'm looking at you, Milan Lucic, uh, with your net front presence as a guy. If you think he's going to get a look there, keep an eye on the Rotowire depth charts to see where he might fit in, folks, because that could be a sneaky late round value play. In terms of the Jets' offense, well, you know the names. There's some big names on the on the forward ranks in in Winnipeg. Certainly, Patrick Liney was a guy that went uh, very high in our draft. There, people are expecting him to have a breakout offensive uh, performance in the postseason. He had 63 points in 68 games played over the regular season. Uh, really came around with a strong two-way game, actually, to his credit. But he's fourth in terms of the hierarchy of offensive production over the regular season. And that's how good uh, this offense is when you consider Shifley and Wheeler leading the parade there. Kyle Connor is in the mix. He tied for the scoring lead among this uh, this group, but maybe ranks fourth. And if you want to highlight who are the guys that people are looking at in the postseason. So maybe Connor is a kind of a sneaky good value play in the postseason, AJ. And, and to a lesser extent, uh, maybe... Nikolai Ehlers heads the best of the rest and then a significant drop off beyond that with Jack Roslovich and Andrew Kopp not making the 30 point ranks and then from there the drop off is even more precipitous to the low double digits so uh, high end production from the top four guys maybe a good value pick in terms of Nikolai Ehlers but uh, uh, some pretty good firepower at the at the top end of the Winnipeg roster are there any any other names that strike you or or do you want to highlight any of the big names in a different way that I did? Yeah, I think the player that I most would highlight in terms of, of value is is Cody Eakin. And, and especially, again, in, in your DFS contest, you know, you look at the salaries for their top six. Um, you've got Line A, 7,400, Shifley, 7,300, Kyle Connor, 7,200, Blake Wheeler, 6,800, Nikolai Ehlers, 5,600. And then you've got to keep scrolling down all the way um, till you get to Cody Eakin coming in at just 4100 uh, for a second line center that's a that's a steal in terms of dfs play on on FanDuel, and so really a, a a great ad there and i think he'll fly under the radar potentially um in pools as well you know the the year was maybe not what he have wanted also people i just for whatever reason people seem to think uh that Winnipeg doesn't have a team. I think people still think that Atlanta is a team with how uh, much attention this club garners. You know, 10 points in 41 games with Vegas, obviously a disappointing start to the year for Cody Eakin. He's had, he had five points in the eight games he got to play uh, in Winnipeg. They're not going to have Brian Little as their second line center. So Cody Eakin is, is the clear uh, next best player there. I don't think they want to go with Adam Lowry in that spot. I just don't think he offers enough offensive upside. So really, I'm keying in on Cody Eakin here. So, uh, Paul, what do you say about the pick here? I think it's going to be a very entertaining series. You said off the top, it looks like the closest uh, between any of the other matchups when you compare them. And I think the Jets are going to take it in five and uh, their firepower giving them the advantage. I think when you top, look at the top four guys here, they're just a cut above what Calgary can counter with. So, And the edge in that is significant enough as well. What about you? Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with with the edge uh, in in the pipes, you know. And so I'm actually going to go Winnipeg in four. I, th- I think the advantage is just such a huge gap between Connor Hellybuck and whichever Calgary netminder might might be playing here. You know, the the offense uh, didn't do as well as you might have expected this season. Just three goals 
per game average, but I think uh, the Hellebuck certainly can keep uh, them at two or less more nights than not. And so really for me, I, th- I think four, it'll still be, I agree, the most entertaining series, but I don't think we're going to get to that fifth game of it. AJ, that, that's our calls for the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. Buddy, I'm feeling confident about these games actually being played with very few issues. I mean, we saw the numbers in uh, released yesterday, only two infections among over several hundred tests. So that's a real good sign as the, te- the teams up approach the hub city transfer that's upcoming in the next few days in Edmonton and Toronto those two cities set up very well with the virus being controlled and contained do you feel the same level of optimism at this point absolutely I do and and I think the biggest question for me is you know those test numbers once they move to the hub cities you know I I, I'm assuming that all things are going to be contained the same way they have been, the teams will be, you know, they're not flying coach with, you know, the rest of us, the unwashed masses, as as, as it were. Um, so they're not going to be necessarily exposed. But anytime you have travel, there's always a risk there. And so um, it'll be, you know, I'm optimistic that we will have exhibition games being played a week from today. And lo and behold, it starts with my Penguins as the first exhibition game on Tuesday. Um, Paul, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I know I said on Twitter, do you have any idea what the record is for most penalty minutes in an exhibition game? Because for some reason, the powers that be have the Penguins playing the Flyers in that exhibition game. <laughs> well, and then the Leafs and the Canadians, they went with the rivalry route in that series of exhibition. So I think it could be fun to watch some of those matchups just because of the rivalry aspect. And, you know, they're not all rivalries. There's some other matchups where you think, oh, well, they just threw these teams together. But there are a mitful where there's going to be some real fuel behind the things uh, right off the puck drop. And what a great way to start. Good stuff, partner. Well, friends, we'll repeat this format uh, looking at the Eastern Conference first round matchups next week. And uh, that wraps up this episode of Puckcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode tentatively, tentatively scheduled to place, take place next Tuesday. In fact, AJ, I'll be doing it from a different location. I'm flying out to Vancouver to visit with family out there. So it'll be a different backdrop that you see. And I'm going to save, save some of that for your comments when we do go to air uh, next uh, next week at this time. So please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJ Scholes 24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay to the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 